Good morning to all those that are with us this morning. So thankful for your presence. It's good to see so many smiling faces and thank you for being with us. Those that are visiting with us, we're always encouraged by you and we hope that we can uh, have an opportunity to invite you back at the next opportunity that you may have. And those that are watching online, of course, we're always thankful and grateful for them that are able to, to tune in for this, for this session of uh, being able to worship God in spirit and in truth. With the text that was just read in John 17, please understand that this is the Lord's prayer. A lot of people in the world today, you look at Matthew 6 as the Lord's Prayer, but that was only the model prayer by which the disciples had asked Christ, how do we pray? And so he gave them a model by which to pray. But here in John 17, Jesus is pouring out his heart to God, his Father. And as we give a brief analysis of this text, we have to ask ourselves the question, why should Christ come to the earth except for the purpose of which he spoke concerning his coming? There is so much division out there in the world today about this premillennial theory, aware that the Jews had somehow thwarted Christ and his ability to establish the kingdom and instead he established the church and that the kingdom would then come to fruition later in time and that he would reign literally on David's throne for a thousand years. I don't see that in the scriptures at all. But I'm going to prove to you this morning why that's true that Christ will never come to this earth to touch the earth ever again because there's no reason for it. He will come, as was in our prayer, Brother David had prayed, to take his bride to the Father. What could Christ accomplish the second time by this premillennial theory that he failed to accomplish the first time, does that question the deity of Christ? The authority and the power of, of Christ Jesus? I think it would, that if he's got to come back and do something the second time, that he failed to do the first time. I don't think he failed. Are the people of the world ready to accept him now that would not accept him then? I don't think so. Not any, not any more than when they came the first time. What would be his mission if he came to earth the second time except to erase the failures that he made the first time? What failures would that be? Please help me understand. Well, you can't because there were no failures. I can't accept that and I'm sure that neither can you. But let's note some of the things that he did before he ascended into heaven. Notice verse 1. He glorified the Father. He said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Now, God gave him all power when he was on the earth. Look at verse 2. 
And thou hast given him power over all flesh. But then notice God sent his son on the earthly mission in verse 3. And Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And so to say that Christ is coming back to earth again to reign over an earthly kingdom is to say that Christ's earthly mission was unfinished the first time. Listen again to his words. Verse 4. If this isn't true, Christ is a liar. And if Christ is a liar, we can't trust him. How can we trust God, his father? But he, notice what he says. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus taught everything on earth that God sent him to teach. There's no failures here. Look at verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have surely known that I came out from thee. Why do men want Christ to come back and set up an an earthly kingdom? Men would not obey, obey him while he was on the earth, much less the second time if he were to come back. But he's not. But to receive his church. They would not keep his words then definitely will not keep his words now. And thus, they're rejecting his church even today. Is it just as true that the church belongs to Christ? Men still have rejected it. And so why look for something else? Why? Well, let's notice. His mission and redemption is complete. That's right. The mission of Christ coming in the first place was to rescue us from the devil in his kingdom. And to do this, Christ had to establish his kingdom, his spiritual kingdom. And if his kingdom did not come, then we are still in the devil's kingdom. If not, why not? Colossians 1.13, Paul writes, Who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. How is that even possible if it hasn't been started yet? How can we be translated into the kingdom of his dear son if it has not been established? If Christ had not established his kingdom, it would have been impossible to translate, that is, transfer people into it. This is proof that he did establish his kingdom, the church, the first time. If he completed his mission then he must have completed out redemption. If one failed, the other failed, and thus we are still in our sins, and thus we are still waiting for the Messiah. Because he must not have been the one. But he was the one. There were no failures. His mission and the redemption was complete. To accept the idea that Christ must come back to establish an earthly kingdom. We will have to accept the fact that his blood did not redeem us from our sins. That means Christ must die again on the cross or somebody because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9.22 But I'm persuaded the word of God to be true. Listen to what Paul says. Colossians 1.14 
in whom, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Again, if we can't trust what we're reading here, then we are wasting our time this morning, and we've been wasting our time all our lives just about. Because we're just going to be like dogs. We'll be dead and cease to exist. Read with me Ephesians 1, if you will. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 7 through 10. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. Can't get around this. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he had purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. We are in the fullness of times. We are in the last dispensation. And there will not be another. His mission and our redemption is complete. But then his revelation is complete, isn't it? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, that's you and me, may be complete. King James Version says perfect. That's completeness. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Some have questioned the completeness of God's revelation. In fact, the Mormons distrusted the wisdom of God and wrote their own Bible. And even others say that the Bible is not complete. But listen to what Jude wrote in Jude 3. He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That word once means once for all delivered. That means that there's nothing more to come. There is nothing else. What does man need with further revelation from God when he will not obey that which has already been revealed from God? And Paul said he received it by revelation, that is divine revelation, the mystery of the gospel. In Ephesians 3, 3 through 6, he says, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand the knowledge and the mystery, my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. If his revelation is complete, then there is nothing more to add, is there? And if there was more to add, then we would be violating another scripture in Revelation 22, 18 and 19 
that we should not add or take away from the Word of God. His mission, His redemption is complete. His revelation is complete. His authority is complete. To reject the very authority of Christ is to reject Christ Himself. There are many standards of authority. Almost everything has a standard of authority. But in religion, Christ is all authority. Jesus, just before he ascended to the Father in heaven, said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. That phrase is given is in the present tense, and it means Christ already has all authority. Not that he will receive all authority. He already has it. Is given. Acts 2.36. Peter, with the rest of the apostles, the other 11, said, And therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Meaning that God has given him all power, all authority. And when they heard it, they didn't argue with it. They believed it, accepted it, and obeyed it. Christ is the king over his kingdom. And it stands without question in the mind of the obedient believers that he has all authority. I don't know if you have your Bible still open to Ephesians chapter 1, but I want you to notice something there. In Ephesians 1, we're going to look at verses 22 and 23. Again, if this is not true, if we can't trust the Scriptures, then we can't trust anything. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Would the church or would the kingdom have been an afterthought? And thus with that, his kingdom is complete. And if Christ's kingdom is not complete, then your salvation is not complete. To put it another way, we have been translated into a kingdom that offers nothing. We go back to Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Where the apostle Paul writes, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He purchased the kingdom, the church, with the same blood that gave us redemption for sins. If his blood purchased the church, it also purchased our redemption. If it failed on one, then it failed on the other. His kingdom, the church, we learn is an everlasting kingdom. And Jesus made this declaration in Matthew 16, 18, when he said that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The writer of the Hebrew letter that had this to say about it in Hebrews 12 and verse 28, 
He says, wherefore we receive in the kingdom which cannot be moved. Ah, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We shall be judged by his kingdom. And if this be true, then we must be in it. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. First, or 2 Timothy 4.1. The judgment by the kingdom will be at his appearing and his coming. If we shall be judged by his kingdom, then we must be in it. If not, we shall be judged by laws that, of which we never lived under. And so, his kingdom is complete. But notice this. His name is complete. Some people think that there's nothing in a name. But the name of Jesus Christ is complete and it must be honored. And those who will not honor the name of Jesus are none of his. Y'all know Colossians 3.17. And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Whatsoever we do or say is to be in the authority, by the authority of Jesus Christ. If his name is not important, then why then did Peter command the people on Pentecost to be baptized in his name? You remember Acts 2.38? Repent and be baptized every one of you. Now they had just asked that question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because they realized that they had crucified the Messiah, the Savior of the world, their Redeemer. What can we do? What shall we do, men and brethren? And Peter answered and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, by his authority, for, in order to obtain the remission of sins. The name of Christ is above every name in heaven and on earth. His name is either a name you love or hate, but either way, you will confess his name someday. Every tongue shall confess. Every knee shall bow. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We'll look at verses 9 through 11. Ephesians 2, 9 through 11. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath ordained, or hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye been in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands. His name is complete, isn't it? But then also notice his glory is complete. Jesus has entered into his glory and is now sitting on the right hand of God on the throne of his glory. And that was foreordained by God, spoken by the prophets, and is now fulfilled. In Luke 24, 
25 and 26. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? If descending back to the Father was the crown of Christ's glory, then to bring him back to the earth, an earth filled with sin and corruption, would rob him of his glory. John 17, 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. It is unthinkable to diminish the glory of Christ as some would in this premillennial theory. Keyword, theory. Because it's not based on his work here on this earth is complete. And those who reject the kingdom and wait for the then kingdom will be waiting in vain. All things are complete in Christ. If not, then his work is not finished. If his work or if he finished it or not, he will not come back to the earth to reign again. He will not die on the cross for you again. Because it was once for all delivered. And if we fail to accept what he did for us then, what hope do you have even now or even later? If you're here not a child of God, can we encourage you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus came into this world to seek and to save those who are lost, Luke 19.10. And with his death on the cross and his burial and the resurrection on that third day, his mission was now complete. He did all that he could do. At that point, now it's up to us. He wants us to have faith in believing that he came to this earth to live and to die for us. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. That faith leads us to believe that Jesus is the son of God. To believe by faith that Jesus accomplished his will. To then to make that decision that we need to change our lives. We've been doing it wrong all this time. And the Lord has given us his word to teach us what is right and how to get it right and how to keep it right. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, not some, not a few, not the red letter edition, all scripture. And then to make that good confession that I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and then go down into the waters of baptism to finalize your belief. By dying to sin, being buried in that watery grave, to rise to walk in newness of life, a child of God, to say, thank you, Jesus. It's now up to me. And now that I have done that, I will do so much for you because what you have done for me and the one thing is to live faithfully unto the end.
we hope that you'll make that decision this morning. You might be already a child of God. You wandered off. Back into the world of sin. Whatever it is, repent of that. It doesn't matter what it was. Turn away from it. They anoust us. Turn away. Make things right. Repent and pray that God will forgive you. We're here to pray with you and for you. We're about to sing a song of encouragement, number 101. 101. And if you are convicted from either the sermon or for the song or from the invitation of Christ, won't you let it be known?